But he who sows in the Spirit, from the Spirit he will reap life everlasting. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Uh, the first part of the sermon this morning was lifted from the work of the late great Catholic author Frank Sheed. So that's the source there. Let's start this morning with a question. If you were suddenly put on the spot right now, what answer would you give to this question? Apart from obeying the law of the church, avoiding a whipping from your parents, is there any point in going to Mass? Besides obeying the law of the church, is there any point in going to Mass? What is the point? What are we doing here? Now we'll have the creed right after the sermon. In the creed, we hear that Christ is sitting at the right hand of the Father. What is he doing there? In chapter 9 of St. Paul's Epistle of Hebrews, we read that Christ entered heaven on our behalf which means that he is doing something there for us. What is it? In the same epistle of Hebrews, we read that Christ lives on to make intercession for us. Christ lives on to make intercession for us. So Christ is in heaven at the right hand of the Father. He's making intercession for us. His intercession for us is not a thing done on Calvary once and for all, but it's a continuous thing, a thing that never ceases. In other words, Christ is in heaven unceasingly making intercession for us. But the basis for our Lord's intercession is Calvary. That is what he's offering to his Father on our behalf. Christ in heaven is continuously offering his own death upon Calvary to his Father on our behalf. Christ in heaven is continuously offering his own death upon Calvary to his Father on our behalf. Everyone needs to burn that into his mind. That's what our Lord is doing right now. Now the prayer of our Lord's body is mystical body. Now the word for the mystical body is the Catholic Church. Is an earthly participation in Christ's intercession. The smallest individual prayer of each member of the mystical body. You and I, for example. The smallest individual prayer of each member of the body is joined with it, flows into our Lord's continuous offering of Calvary. That's why so many of our prayers end with, through Christ our Lord. Or you hear in Mass, per dominum nostrum, yeasum Christum fleum tuum, through our, our, our Lord Jesus Christ. That's affixed in so many words to some of our prayers, and it belongs in principle to all of them. So all our prayers, the individual prayers of every member of the mystical body, flows into 
and it's a participation in Christ's continual intercession in heaven. But as it is with individuals, so it is with the prayer of the whole body. It's a joining up with a continuous offering of Christ. And that prayer of the whole mystical body of Christ finds its highest point in the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. The Holy Sacrifice of the Mass is the exact projection here on earth of Christ's continuous offering in heaven. The Holy Sacrifice of the Mass is, is the exact projection here on earth of his continuous offering in heaven. In heaven, our Lord unceasingly offers himself the victim slain upon Calvary for all men. In the Mass, our Lord offers himself the victim slain upon Calvary for all men. Now in the Mass, Christ is the chief priest. Uh, He's offering himself by his own power. The priest, an instrument of Christ, offers for the people to sacrifice by virtue of a power that's been given to him by Christ. And the people offer Christ's sacrifice through the priest. Again, Christ is is the chief priest. He offers himself by his own power. He uses an instrument, that's the priest, like me, who offers for the people by virtue of power granted him by Christ. And the people offer Christ's sacrifice through the priest. So at Mass, the priest is acting as an instrument of Christ. And he offers Christ, really present, body, blood, soul, and divinity. So on the altar, Christ is offering himself the victim slain upon Calvary, but now living, just as in heaven he continually offers himself the victim slain upon Calvary, but now living. The Mass is really heaven, as it were, breaking through to earth to be seen of men. That's what Mass is. Now the priest not only consecrates, but he also consumes. He receives our Lord, whole and entire, into his body, the living God into his body, just as the apostles did. And the congregation may likewise receive him. The members of Christ's mystical body, the members of the Catholic Church, have as their own proper food nothing less than Christ himself. Now other food gives life. This food is life. Baptism. By baptism, we're built, incorporated in the body of Christ. And his cells in his body were able to live with that life of his body. The condition of all life in God is prayer. That's a condition. The condition of all life in God is prayer. Our prayer in the mystical body culminates in the supreme prayer of the Mass. And from the Mass, we receive Christ himself to be the food of our life in the body. So communion is God's supreme gift to us upon earth. Now, all that is just a review of what we know from our catechism. Okay, so given that the Mass is the exact projection here upon earth of the continuous offering of Christ our Lord in heaven, and given that the Mass, Christ is a chief priest offering himself by his own power, the priest offers for the people by virtue of a power granted him by Christ, and the people offer Christ's sacrifice through the priest, and given that God, communion is God's supreme gift to man here upon earth, let's give a few practical answers to the question we started with. Besides obeying the law of the church, 
Is there any point in going to Mass? What are we doing here? We'll briefly consider two very important practical things that everyone here can do and should be doing every time they go to Mass. First, at the offertory. Now the offertory, that starts right after the creed. As soon as the creed's done, that's the offertory. At the offertory, you need to fix your intention. Okay, great, Father, but what does that mean? You need to fix your intention. Now remember, as we just heard, that the people offer Christ's sacrifice through the priest. So the intention is the thing you really, really want to offer up your Mass for. For example, one of your grandparents could be dying. You want to offer it up for his holy death. Or maybe you're struggling to grow in some virtue, overcome some vice. You want to offer it up for that. Anyway, whatever it is, you take that intention and you mentally place that intention on the host. When? At the offertory, he'll uncover, I'll go up there, I'll uncover, take the chalice veil off. You set the chalice to the side with a patent on the top, so just, it's just to the right, and the priest picks up the patent. When he's uncovering it and setting it over there, you're putting mentally your intention on that host. Then the priest is going to offer up that host. He's offering up that host. And part of the prayer, he says, when he offers up that host, is receive, O Holy Father, Almighty and God, this spotless host for all here present. The priest is offering up for you. If you don't have an intention, come up with one right now, and I'll make a suggestion, a holy death. The most important thing any one of us here is going to ever do is die. We have a holy death, we're good to go. So that should be your default setting. If you don't have anything else, always offer it up for holy death. If you don't have something else, you can come up with, okay? But you want to have an intention. Make sure you get one right now. So, you mentally place that intention on the host, and then, when the priest, so he offers up the host, and the priest takes the chalice, and he walks over to the epistle side of the altar, and he pours some wine, and then he's blessed in the water. That water stands for your intentions. So he puts a little drop of water in the chalice. Put your intentions in the chalice. Then he goes back and he offers up the chalice. Okay, so now you've fixed your intention. After offering up the, the, ch- the chalice, he's, he's, he offered up the host, he's offered the chalice, then the priest says the next prayer was bent over. Now he's bent over like this. So he's got his hands together on the altar, he's bent over. He's symbolically groveling before God the Father. And he's got his hands joined together like a slave right at the very threshold of heaven. He's interceding for everyone. So that's what he's doing. But what is it that he's saying? Listen to this. In the spirit of humility and with a contrite heart, receive us, O Lord, and grant that the sacrifice which we offer this day in thy sight may be pleasing unto thee, O Lord God. And that is not the imperial we. That's for all y'all. It's just, he's praying for everybody. So, we've united ourselves to the sacrifice by placing and fixing our attentions at the offertory. We should make a particular point, then, of uniting ourselves to the priest who is asking God on our behalf for a truly humble spirit and a contrite heart. God has bound himself to listen to the prayers of his priests. Now, think about that. God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, has bound himself 
to listen to the prayers of his priest, since the priest is an official ambassador who's been consecrated precisely to offer the sacrifice. And since he has that role, as long as he's doing everything right and not getting creative up there, God has to listen to his prayers. He's bound himself to do that. It's absolutely amazing when you step back from it and think of that. It's incredible. Now, there's even sort of a last call if you've been distracted or daydreaming because the priest will kiss the altar and turn around and he'll say, Arate Fratres, and he takes his hands and puts them together and he goes in a circle and he's mystically gathering intentions because as he's saying that, he's turning around and saying, Pray, brethren, that my sacrifice and yours might be acceptable to God, the Father Almighty. So he does that. He turns all the way around. It's like your last chance to get, get your offertory intentions fixed, so to speak. Okay? So now we've fixed our intention at the offertory. You made a point of uniting ourselves to the priest's prayer for humility and contrition. And because God has bound himself to listen to his priest, as long as the priest is following the rubrics, God the Father looks down and he accepts that host and that wine. So he accepts the offering the priest has made, but all he sees is a little piece of bread and a little bit of wine. But God the Father also sees all the intentions attached to him as long as we've made them. As long as we fix intentions, God the Father sees those intentions attached to the host and wine. Okay. But then it all comes together the consecration. The priest consecrates the host and the chalice and holds them up on behalf of everyone to God the Father. Now stop and think of what that means. Suddenly... By this marvel of transubstantiation, the bread and the wine are completely gone. Only the accidents remain. Only appearances remain. But the bread and wine are completely gone. By the power of the priesthood, Jesus Christ is now really present. Body, blood, soul, and divinity. And now God the Father is looking down. And what is he seeing? He's seeing his beloved Son holding up those intentions we fixed at the offertory. So that's the first practical note. Everyone here needs to fix his intention at the offertory. We have many things we need to pray for. Let us not neglect this. Second practical note. Given that communion is God's supreme gift to us upon earth, let's talk a little bit about Holy Communion. The Council of Trent teaches, and I quote, Our Lord wished that this sacrament the most blessed sacrament of the altar, should be received as the spiritual food of souls, as an antidote, whereby we may be freed from daily faults and preserved from mortal sins. Close quote. So it's a solemn teaching of the church that one of the reasons our Lord instituted Holy Communion was as an antidote for our daily faults. Okay, Father, but I've been receiving communion for years and I don't seem to have made much progress. Well, hold that thought for a moment. One communion is sufficient in and of itself to make us a saint and a great saint. There's no defect in our Lord. If we're not saints after our first communion, it's because of our disposition. Okay, 
So we need to make communions for specific purpose. For example, of conquering our faults. Suppose we're struggling with temptations against our neighbor. The guy just drives us crazy. We want to go over there, yell at him, smack him around, something like that. Okay, so we're having this kind of problem. Now we have a specific purpose that we're thinking about when we want to go to Holy Communion. We want to control our anger, this urge to go over and thrash our neighbor and so forth. If we were going to go ask our boss for a raise, we'd probably spend some time pondering exactly what we're going to ask him and how we're going to go about talking about it. Huh? Well, this is God that we're going to be visiting with. And so if we're so careless about his visit that we haven't been planning exactly what we want to ask for and how we're going to go about saying it, but worse yet, if we don't even talk to him at all after we received him, small wonder if we've made little progress over the years. We shouldn't just shuffle up to communion and shuffle back. That's not going to help. St. Teresa Avila says, after Holy Communion, Jesus remains in the soul, is on a throne of grace, and asks, What do you want me to do for you? It's extraordinary. See, he doesn't need anything. He's God. We need him, and that's precisely why he's coming to us in Holy Communion, to give us what we need. What do we need? We want to have a good answer to our Lord when he says, what do you want me to do for you? We want to have a good answer. We want to plan out exactly what we're going to ask him to do before we go to communion. Now, obviously, before we go to communion, we have to have kept the fast. We have to be in a state of grace. Okay, that's a given. But we want to have it planned out. So, an example, we're struggling with anger, with this temptation to go over and thrash the neighbor. We plan it all out, and then we go to communion and tell our Lord where's this effect at communion. Lord, thank you for coming in Holy Communion. You know, I have this terrible problem with anger, and I'm having all these temptations against my neighbor. It's just crazy, the thoughts I'm having. I've even wanted to go over there and thrash him. I'm trying to make me meek and calm, but I'm doing a terrible job of controlling myself here. I'm having a hard time controlling myself, but I you can do it. So I'm turning that over to you. I'm inviting you to that part of my life. You take charge of that whole situation. You arrange, rearrange my interior life in a way that's pleasing to you. You help me keep a handle on my anger because obviously I'm not pleasing you. Have mercy on me. Rearrange my soul so this is happening and so forth. You can see how this goes. You want to have this planned out. See, we're sinners. But he came to save us and he wants us to be saints. But we have to do our part. So we have to ask. We have to do our part. St. Teresa says, After Holy Communion, Jesus remains in the soul as on a throne of grace and asks, What do you want me to do for you? St. Teresa, quote, After Communion, let us be careful not to lose so good an opportunity of negotiating with God. His Divine Majesty is not accustomed to pay badly for his lodgings if he meets with a good reception. After communion, let us be careful not to lose so good an opportunity of negotiating with God. His divine majesty is not accustomed to pay badly for his lodgings if he meets with a good reception. We've got to pray and prepare ourselves for Holy Communion and then have a good reception and visit with him. 
Just put yourself in, in, in his situation, like in, in an imaginary situation. Somebody's inviting you over. Oh, come on over. We're looking forward to your visit. So you knock on the door. They open up. Hey, it's great to see you. Uh, can you just step in here for a sec? You step in the little room. They lock it. You find yourself locked in the broom closet, and they're going around their business. You can hear them visiting, having coffee, doing that. How welcome would you feel? It's like, well, why did you invite me over? You know, let me out of here. What's going How often do people receive communion like that? It's the Lord of Lord and King of Kings. And he comes into their heart. They don't have a thing to say to him. They can't wait to get out the door as if there's a fire in church. We've got to prepare for communion. We've got to prepare a good reception for him and then we've got to spend time asking him to crush our sinful inclinations and whatever else we need. The saints are unanimous on this. St. Peter Julian Amard has a lot to say on this matter. Quote, The most solemn moments of your life are those you spend in thanksgiving. When the King of heaven and earth, your Savior and Judge, is yours, fully inclined to grant all you ask of him. Devote a half an hour, if possible, to this thanksgiving, or at the very least, 15 minutes. There is no more holy, no more salutary moment for you than when you possess Jesus in your body and in your soul. The temptation often comes to shorten our thanksgiving. The devil knows its value. In our nature, our self-love shrinks from its effects. Determine, therefore, what the duration of your thanksgiving is to be, and never subtract a moment therefrom without a pressing reason. Thanksgiving is absolutely necessary if the act of communion, so holy, is not to degenerate into a mere pious habit. Close quote. St. Peter Julian Amen. St. Alphonsus says, quote, oh, What treasures of grace do they lose who pray but a short time to God after Holy Communion? Close quote. What treasures of grace do they lose? So the basic idea is easy to understand. We have all kinds of problems we need to take to the divine physician who came to make all things new. And the basic technique is also easy to understand. We plan out exactly what we're going to ask our Lord to do before we go to communion. And then we spend 15 to 30 minutes talking with him about our problems and begging him for mercy. We started by asking, why go to Mass? What is the point? What are we to be doing? There's things that we need from God that we can only get from God. And this is a precise means set up by God himself that we might receive them. Let's get serious today and at every Holy Mass. Fix your intention at the offertory 
Make your communion for a specific purpose and make a good and long thanksgiving. Then you're really on the path to holiness.